Before we get rolling this morning, let's just have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and uh, we just can't thank you enough for all those that have made an effort to be here today. It's just uh, tough out there. So, Lord, we pray for safety. But most of all, we just, uh, we just take time to reflect on this last song, and we want to thank you for saving us. We want to thank you for allowing your son to die for us. And, Lord, we never want to take that for granted. And thank you most of all for giving us hope, hope eternal. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. I don't know where you were on uh, February 1st, approximately 9.46 p.m., uh, but I was uh, sitting in a, one of my most comfortable chairs in our home, and I was watching the Super Bowl. Anybody else here watch that pathetic uh, football? Anyway, um, and I, I'm like uh, many of you when I was uh, watching that game, and it got towards the last minute, and there was that ridiculous catch, and uh, I just hated it when they showed Tom Brady, and he was heartbroken. It was just beautiful, and I was just, uh, in my mind, like I think everybody else, I was thinking, I know exactly how this game's going to end, uh, but it didn't end that way. So I thought, let's just kind of go back in time, and let's just experience this together on this very snowy day. So we're going to run that video of the, that, that beautiful play. Can we run that, guys, and let's have some, here goes Wilson, well, is he passing the ball? If you're like me... I didn't cuss, but I, I wanted to, okay, and I was screaming, and he's going off the field, and I felt sorry for him, but really I didn't, and then you know eventually who they're going to show. They're going to show Tom Brady, and I'm watching that. Coach, I'm like, you should be fired, and I'm, my friend Tony Lutz over here, he has a foam brick. Am I right, Tony? If I had his, oh, Tom Brady, don't you love that guy? So anyway, close up of the coach again, and now we all want to see that play uh, all of us in slow motion, and here we go. Let's watch it in slow motion. Yeah, it's just as bad, slow motion. So then you heard these immortal words from Chris Collinsworth, and I love this. I'm sorry, but I can't believe the call. I can't believe the call. You got Marshawn Lynch in the backfield. You got a guy that's been borderline unstoppable this part of the field. I can't believe the call. I can't believe the call either. Uh, it was interesting, the next day on sports, as I was listening to some of the sports shows, and I kept saying, arguably, it's the worst call in Super Bowl history. Now, the only one arguing are the guys saying, arguably. No, it's the worst call in Super Bowl history. There's no argument about it. So then I started thinking, okay, if that's the worst call, what's the best call? What's the best call in Super Bowl history? Now, this is, this is totally my opinion. I think that happened in 2004. And what's interesting is it took place before the game, before the Super Bowl even began. You see, Deion Branch took out his phone before the Super Bowl game that he was playing in, wide receiver for the Patriots, and he started all the way back to his first coach when he was six years old, Pop Warner football. And every coach after that, and he called every coach, and he said, getting ready for the biggest game of my life. I just want to take time to thank you. Thank you for believing in me. Thank you for teaching me to love the game. And one of the coaches that he called, one of his college assistant coaches, he called and said, I want to thank you that you didn't just love me as a player, but you were there as a friend. Thank you. We all know the power and the impact of a heartfelt thank you. I cannot tell you how many teachers over the years that I've had the privilege of working with 
and they'll tell me how difficult it is to teach, how hard it is, especially it gets harder and harder with all the regulations and all the testing. But they'll say, you know what keeps me hanging in there? It isn't the retirement fund. You want to you know what it is? Every once in a while, you'll have a, a player, you'll have a student who'll come back and say, hey, I, I just want to thank you. You don't know this, but you really had an impact on my life. You've all been there. You've got a random card or an email, and somebody gives you and shares with you a heartfelt thank you, and it makes your day. That's why uh, when Tom said, would you share on this particular Sunday, and he said, here's your text, I got to tell you, I am so excited about this particular text because I love this story. If you'll take out your iPhones, you can follow us up here. If you've got your scriptures, I'd like you to turn over to Luke chapter 17, Luke chapter 17, and we're going to pick it up in verse 10, excuse me, verse 11, and here's what you're going to find out right there in the heading. It says, 10 healed of leprosy, 10 healed of leprosy, and let's just read those first three verses. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee, and as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance, and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now, first of all, let's back up and look at the location. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's traveling between Samaria and Galilee. And this little village that he's going in, this is important, is a village where both Jews and Samaritans were living together. And there are these ten lepers, and they are crying out in a loud voice. Now here's something you need to understand as you read that. They are on the outskirts of the city. Now why? Because if you had leprosy, you were not allowed to be in any contact with anybody else. They were doing exactly by the law what they were required to do. And when they cried out, they didn't just cry out, Lord, have sympathy. Matter of fact, I, I found this interesting. That word pity, if you look in verse 13 in Greek, that original word pity we would think it's the word sympathy. It's not the word sympathy. It is a heartfelt cry for help. They are crying out for help. It isn't, Lord, have sympathy on me, have empathy with me. No, it's, man, would you help us in this desperate situation? Now, you may not know much about leprosy. Uh, so I've asked Brad, because we've had some folks that have been on some trips that have visited some areas where leprosy is still prevalent today. So we want to just show you a few of these pictures to show you the impact of leprosy. These are some of the individuals that Brad, again, has come in contact with. And as you see these pictures, I want you to listen to the words from Dr. Paul Bland, who wrote Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. Leprosy attacks the body. It leaves sores, missing fingers, missing toes, damaged limbs, and in many cases, the initial pain of leprosy gives way to something more terrible than that. It is a loss of the sensation in the nerve endings, leading to more damage to more body parts. The disease can take up to 30 years to run its course, and when that time span, entire limbs can simply fall off. It is assuredly the most horrible disease. Dr. Brand said this when I read that, he went on to say, and he's worked over 30 years in terrible conditions, and he said the, the thing about leprosy is, again, because of the nerve ending damage, 
that there's no pain, so you can literally walk through fire. A leper can walk through fire, and they don't even feel that. Now, we might say, if you're in junior high, you say, oh, that's so cool. But I want you to think about a life with no pain and what that really means. And so here are these individuals, these ten men, crying out, Jesus, do anything to help us. And I love what Jesus instructs them to do. It doesn't seem like a big deal, but he says, and when he saw them, he said, go show yourself to the priest. Now, why is that such a big deal? Well, of the lepers, of the ten, nine of them were what? Jewish. And here's what they understood if they were Jewish. There were over 600 Jewish laws to be memorized, but this one for a leper was right at the top of the list. Because in order for you to go back into society, to go back to your families, the only way for that to happen if you were a leper is you had to be cleansed. And the only way that you were declared clean and cleansed is you would go to a priest. And the priest would declare you clean. So when they heard the words, go to a priest, they knew what that meant. Potentially that means we're going to be healed. Now think about what that meant. That one sentence. You want to talk about a game-changing sentence. Here's individuals who have lived for years probably, years without any hope. And Jesus says, go to the priest. And as they are, and this is critical, as they are going to the priest, as they're going to the priest, you got to know Jesus in his mind already knows how this is going to play out. He already knows that on the way they're going to be healed. Now think about that. Because I think that says so much about the Jesus that I love and the Jesus that you love. And that is Jesus loves surprises. If you go through the Gospels, one story, one encounter, one experience after another, you just see that Jesus loves surprises. You saw that when the, you had the, the wine and when it was from water turned to wine. You see when Jesus reached out to Matthew, he said, Matthew, I know you're a tax collector and nobody likes you. But here's the deal. I'd love to have a party and you set it up and you invite your friends and I'm going to go to that party. You don't think that was a surprise? Or you remember little Zacchaeus, he's up in the tree and Jesus says, I'm going to come to your what? House today. Remember that? And then there's Lazarus. One story after another where we see Jesus loves surprises. He loves that. When I was 16, uh, and that was a long time ago, when I was 16, I remember my birthday. Here's a couple things uh, selfishly I love about my birthday. It's on May 29th. What a great time to be born. I thank my mom so often because school was ending, baseball was starting, and you got to put shorts and a t-shirt on. I mean, that was a trifecta of happiness when you're 16. So I come home, and it was actually the last day of school. It was a beautiful day and because uh, I'd been studying so hard all day. So anyway, I came home, and I, I was, like, running through the house because if you were a child of the 70s, I know this is really going to sound weird, you would run in, and your mom would say, now put on your play clothes. Isn't that weird? That is weird. But my, my mom knew as I ran in, I was getting ready to throw on my summer shorts. And if you know what those were in the summer, in the 70s, it meant the jean shorts. Remember that? where your pocket stuck through, and you peeled it back. Do you remember? How weird was that? But anyway, I couldn't wait to get my shorts on. I lived near a lake. Couldn't wait to get going and get my T-shirt. And my mom's standing at the door. My mom is this little bitty, five-foot-two, little bitty gal, beautiful blue eyes. And she said, and my mom would never let me go back out after that unless she gave me a hug. She was just really weird that way. So she was like, give me a hug. It's your birthday. Mom, I'm 16. Doesn't matter. Gives me a hug. 
And then, now this is a sentence you don't hear every day. Would you like your birthday surprise? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's in the bathroom. You don't hear that every day. Your, your surprise is in the bathroom. And I gave her a look, and I said, well, okay. And I walked, and I opened up the bathroom door, and this little beagle puppy comes waddling out. And I picked up this puppy, and I remember I turned around, and there was this amazing look in my mom's eyes. And to be honest with you, it's one of my greatest memories of my mom. And if you would have asked me at 16, what's the greatest thing in life, I'd say, surprises. I love getting surprises. But if you asked me when I was a parent, I would say, you know what's strange? It's actually greater to be part of giving the surprises. And you know who's worse than that? Grandparents. They are obnoxious. They just love surprises. Marie's mom used to always say, God gave us parents to say yes, or gave us yeah, parents to say no, and grandparents to say what? Yes. Okay? Now, I want you to think of Jesus, and think of him standing there, seeing these ten lepers run, and in his mind, he's like, I already know what's going to happen. Somewhere along the way, before they even get to the priest, they're going to start looking at their hands, they're going to start pulling up the robes. They're going to look at everything. And one by one, they're going to go, I'm healed. I'm healed. Now, here's what's interesting. Remember, nine of them were what? Jewish. And Jesus said, what? Go to the priest. They did exactly what Jesus told them to do. They were running to the priest. But the Samaritan didn't need to see the priest. The Samaritan was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I know you're going to go see the priest because you're already healed. Yeah, 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 you can see them getting all excited. I'm going back. And you can see the other nine that settled for doing what was good. And you see one who did what was best. And I'll tell you what, that's a tension. As I was praying through this text, I thought, boy, that's a tension we face so often in life. This difference between what I would say good and great, what's good and what's best. You're here this morning. And i got to be honest, it, it took a lot for you to get here this morning. But if you took weather aside on a standard Sunday morning, if we're honest, there are Sundays that really we're doing what is good. We're attending church. And deep inside, we have this voice almost calling us to do something great for God. But we are satisfied in doing what is good. We get comfortable. Real life begins at the edge of your comfort zone. It's when you say, Lord, I'm willing to do not only what is good and what is safe, Lord, I'm willing to do whatever you've asked me to do. And that's a tough decision to make. Because when God calls us to do something, he calls us into his greatness, and that's a hard place to be. But I want you to notice what that Samaritan did. Follow with me. It's a beautiful section. I, I wish the story just ended with these men being healed, but it doesn't. Verse 14, and he saw them and he said, go show yourselves to the priests. They did. They went. They were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at the feet of Jesus and he thanked him and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not there ten of you who were cleansed? Were the other nine? Was no one of you found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go. Your what? Faith 
that's made you whole. That bridge, from what I would say from good to God's greatness, it's always faith. It's when God calls us to get out of our comfort zone and to reach out to him in faith. And you know when that stops? Never. It doesn't matter your age. You need to listen to where God is calling you and are you willing in faith to go to him and simply say thank you. How critical is it is to have the same spirit to say thank you. When I think back of the lepers who were going to the priest, I think of the countless excuses they must have had of why they did not go back to Jesus. Think of all the excuses they must have had. We're doing exactly what he told us to do. We've got people to see. We've got places to go. I'll get around to surrendering to Jesus. I'll get around to that. David Jeremiah, a great minister and author, I was listening to an interview, and he shared this amazing experience. And he said, he said, there was a young man from the Middle East, and he had been studying Scripture. And he came to David Jeremiah, and he said, I want to become a Christian, but I have so many questions to get answered first. And listen to what David Jeremiah said, which I love. He said, if you commit your heart to Jesus Christ, your questions will be answered as you move forward. But if you wait until you answer all your questions first in your heart, you'll never become a Christian. I'm like, wow, that's it. If you wait until you answer selfishly all the questions you're pursuing, there's no faith. But if you surrender to Jesus Christ, if you make that decision first, he'll go forward with you and he'll help you with the life's difficult questions because he's the ultimate answer. I would have loved to have a video of that leper running back to Jesus, wouldn't you? The very gates that he could never go through, he ran through. The very people who had taunted him, he worked his way through the crowd and he threw himself at the feet of Jesus. And don't you love what he did? He thanked him. He thanked him. What a game changer. Let me tell you about good days and bad days here at uh, Sherwood Oaks. Good days here usually happen a lot of times on Tuesday. On Tuesday, we have a devotion. Uh, Alan leads us in devotion, and then after the devotion, all the, the entire staff, everybody gets together, and then Tom will just say, so how are things going in the ministries? And so you begin to hear how God is moving with the kids, in men's ministry, and women's ministry, and family ministry, and marriage, support groups. You just begin to hear this, uh, this just whole, really a collage of memories of how God is working in all these areas. And it's like, wow, this, this church is alive, and God is moving. Those are the good days. Well, let me tell you about some of the bad days. The bad days is when you hear about somebody from our family who's passed away. I mean, every year that happens. I don't know if you ever watch the Oscars, but when I watch the Oscars, one of the saddest moments is always when they show all the actors and everybody involved in the business who's passed away the year before. And it always reminds me of all the people that I love that have passed away. When 2014, uh, we had a dear friend from our church family that passed away, and his name is Bill Campbell. But here's what I want to share with you that you may not know about Bill Campbell. Bill Campbell was battling cancer uh, for a long time, and his last day in the hospital when he came out, he was so weak. And on a Saturday, he did something that he never had done before that I'm aware of, because Bill's been teaching well over 20 years. He called Donna Pruitt, 
uh, who sets up all the rooms and the adult Sunday school classes and, and simply said, I am so weak, Donna, can you get me a substitute teacher? She said, Bill, not a problem. That was Saturday. And Sunday morning, he called the church again. And he said, could somebody be at door three with a wheelchair? And they said, sure, Bill. And somebody was at door three, and they helped put Bill in that wheelchair. And his wife, Linda, pushed him up to the elevator and went up to the second floor. And Bill Campbell taught his Sunday school class. In less than 24 hours, he died. I have thought about that so many times. I thought, now there's a guy that lived every day realizing somebody saved his life. And literally, almost with his last breath, he wanted to share Jesus Christ one more time. He was grateful for the Savior who saved his life. And I thought, how often I take Jesus for granted. And how often do you take Jesus for granted? That you would fall at his feet every day, really, and just say, thank you. Why? Because you saved my life. And I want you to know that Jesus Christ is still reaching out. This is Decision Sunday, and I want you to think about something. All of you on the way in, you should have received a domino. and You can hold those up right now, but I want to share something with you about this domino. Something that I, I found out that I thought was interesting. It's estimated, uh, and you've probably seen this on YouTube, you can lay really millions of world records, millions of these dominoes out, and they can create these amazing, just almost like a waterfall of activity. It's just something else. But there's something else about this domino that's very impressive. And this happened in 1983. Laura Whitehead wrote in the Journal of Physics that you could take one domino, and you don't have the actual size, but it's a two-inch domino, and that one domino would actually topple another domino 50% larger than the original, and it would continue. So they had an expo in uh, 2001, and what they did in this expo is they took plywood, and they set it up eight sizes. So they took the original domino, and they measured it eight sizes up. It started with a click, and it ended with a thump. And then they put pen to paper, and they're like, okay, well, let's do some estimations here. You realize that if you took that 23 times greater than the original domino, it would be the height of the Eiffel Tower. 31 times larger, it would loom 3,000 feet about, above Mount Everest. If you took it 57 times greater, it would be the distance of bridge between here and the moon. I know what you're thinking. What does that have to do with Decision Sunday? You are so ADD. I want you to think about this domino. You know what it represents? It, it represents the big decisions you make in your life. And here's what's interesting. When we make significant decisions, sometimes we think that decision is just, just a one-day decision. And then as the years go by, you're like, oh, my land. There's a ripple effect for that decision. There's good decisions and there's bad decisions. When you make the most important decision in your life to surrender to Jesus Christ, you have no idea the ripple effect that's going to take place. You have no idea the impact that your life will have. And here's the, the kicker. Years after you're dead, when you surrender to Jesus Christ. This morning, there's some important decisions that you need to make. For some of you, you've never taken the first step to be baptized and to surrender to Jesus Christ and literally to throw yourself at his feet and say, thank you for saving my life.
And I, I just want to start today by surrendering to you. We have a whole team right here. You go behind this door, and they are ready to baptize anyone this morning who wants to make that decision. Some of you, honestly, you've been putting your toe in the water long enough. You need to make this your church home. You need to say, you know what, I want to be a part of a church that is trying to make a huge difference in our community and in the world. I want to be a part of that church. And I want you to know that we're going to have elders and Alan that will be up here to help you with that. And some of you, I want you to think about this, are sitting here today and you have a decision in your life that you're trying to make. Maybe it's a relationship decision. Maybe it's a job. But you came here this morning and your heart is just stirred up and you don't know who to talk to. We want you to know that we have some folks that we're going to be in the chapel, but we want them to come up to just to pray with you, to say, listen, we know life is about decisions and you may have a tough one you're trying to make. We want to be here to pray with you.